Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Exodus 16, 1 through 12. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came into the wilderness of, the, of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in, in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out in, into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when, the pe when they prepare what they bring in, it will be, at, be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to, to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say that to the whole con congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the, of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. John, John 6, 31 through 35. Our father ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written. He gave us the bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of, from the heaven, but my Father gave you the true bread from heaven. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The word of the Lord. Well, I think I could have sat here all morning and listened to those two read scripture. Wasn't that beautiful? Just savored every word of it, so special. Hey, you know, I'd like to echo, as we get into this message, I'd like to echo something Heather said earlier. She, of course, is our splash director. We, you, you heard during the baptism how we as a church care for all ages of children. And on the fifth Sunday, we have the children worship with us. And so it's a very special moment. And I, I was thinking about how Molly and I raised four children, all of whom are adults now, all of whom are married. But we raised our children through these stages of infancy and childhood and middle school and high school and college. And here's something that we learned over the years about raising children in the church. That is that worship is an acquired taste. Do you know what, what I mean by an acquired taste? Um, it is something that in a, in a media-saturated culture in an entertainment culture, in a consumer culture, the whole idea of listening to a sermon for 30 minutes, the idea of singing songs, the idea of praying to someone you cannot see, these are things that are an, acqui an acquired taste. But here's the good news, is that over time, these tastes become very delicious to us. You begin to appreciate the Word of God, the songs, but these are counter to the culture in which children are growing up. And so we have an opportunity to, not only for our children, but for all of us as adults, as we enter into a worship, into worship for this, this bread of life that we have here today offered, that, that Christ himself, the bread of life, is what we taste and experience when we gather for worship. It's an acquired taste, and so I would add to you children, we are so glad that we are here, that you are here today. Well, we're in this sermon on Exodus uh, chapter 16. Uh, last week was the parting of the Red Sea and Exodus 14, and we're going through this journey in the book of Exodus. As you listen to that, the scripture read this morning, you noticed that this message, this story is about several things. Number one, it's a story about hunger. The children of Israel have crossed the Red Sea, they have left Egypt, and they are in the wilderness, and they experience hunger. They are longing for food, and they wanna have more food, and they want to be secure. So it is a sermon, it is a story about hunger. But secondly, this message is also a story about bread. It is about what satisfies the hunger of Israel, what satisfies our hunger. It is a story about bread. In fact, this is a famous story in the, in the Bible. I know that many of you, this is your first time to go through the book of Exodus. And this is the chapter that even beyond the verses that we read, it says that the bread is called manna. The reason it was called manna is because when the people of Israel first saw it, it was like dew on the grass, and then it turned to these flakes, 
and that was the bread that they ate every morning for 40 years that was provided by God. But when they first saw it, they said, what is it? And the Hebrew word for what is it is manna. So we use the word manna and bread interchangeably. interchangeably. So this is a story about hunger. It is a story about bread. And therefore, listen carefully, this is a story about contentment. A story about contentment. I believe that in our church, I believe that in our country, it is time to talk about contentment. Contentment is in short supply these days, and you can see it everywhere that you look. You could say there's a pandemic of discontent in people's lives, and we are not exempt from, from that as Christians, but this is a story about com- contentment. So we have entitled this sermon, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Now, what do we mean by rare? It means that it's scarce. Uh, when, I was a, when I was growing up in Dallas, between ages five and 10, I started collecting coins, and I have an 1863 penny that had things like a flying eagle on it or a Native American an image on there. And that was, that, was before, that was while Lincoln was still alive, this penny that I have, but it's a rare penny. And it's very, it's, so I, very, I value it. And so contentment is something that is rare and it deserves to be valued. And it is also a jewel. It is the rare jewel of Christian contentment. So when you think about the value of a jewel, What is contentment? Well, in his book, titled with the same title, it's where I got the title, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Jeremiah Burroughs defines contentment this way. Now think carefully about these words. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Now that almost deserves a reread. It's a lot of words there. You probably picked up on some of this sort of gracious condition and disposal. But maybe I could put it in simpler terms by talking about like my contentment, a couple, lack of contentment a couple of weeks ago. Molly and I took our first flight uh, after this year of COVID. A couple of weeks ago, we went to Washington DC to see family and I had a, a board meeting and we were flying back on a Saturday night, the flight was delayed, and I was just running out of emotional energy, and as we were getting on the plane, Molly was right in front of me, and I was issuing instructions to her because I had the seat memorized, and so I started saying, Molly, when you get on the plane, go left, go left. Well, she gets on the plane and she goes right after I had told her to go left, and I'd said a few other things, and it turns out that when Molly turned right, that was actually the correct way to get to our seat. I was wrong. And for half the flight, uh, Molly had, was kind of withdrawn from me, and I'm like, honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she goes, well, you just turned into a grouch. You're just grouchy. See, I did not have this contentment, that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit. That was not me that night. And it's so easy for us to lose that in our relationships and in our life as we go through life. So Exodus 16, this chapter that we're in, begins 
their wilderness journey from the Red Sea to what's called Mount Sinai, where they got the Ten Commandments. And in very much the same way, all of us as Christians, as I said to Dwayne and Abby, we have our own wilderness journey that we are in. You see, because when God rescued them from Egypt, it, the, he, it was unfinished at that point. God, wanted, God had more to do in their lives. He was unfinished. He did not just want to save them from Egypt. He wanted to change them. He wanted to transform them. So here's the news for us as a church, for us who are followers of Christ. We experience salvation, but in salvation, God is not finished with us yet. He wants to change us. He wants to grow us, and he wants to nurture faith in our hearts. And that's what the rest of the book of Exodus is about, the fact that God wants to change us. When I was a young Christian, my pastor said some words that I'll never forget. He said, when you become a Christian, God enrolls you in his school of grace from which you never graduate until we go to be with the Lord. But God has us all in school. And so this story here, a story of hunger, a story of bread, a story of contentment, is part of God's school of grace for them, and we'll see that it's God's school of grace for us. So I have three points today. And by the way, a word to the kids. I wanna say something I appreciate about the kids, because the last time we had the kids in here, I, I in fact, the last, few times I've had kids come up to me and they quoted back to me my outline. They took notes, they listened, they remembered. And that just meant so much to me to have the kids getting it. And so for all the kids here and all the grown-up kids in the room, here's my outline today. Number one, we're gonna talk about our restless struggle, our own lack of contentment, our restless struggle. Number two, our caring father. And number three, Christ the bread of life. Those are our three points today. So first, our restless struggle. Just a comment on the fact, the hunger that we experience in our lives, because we're not back there in Egypt. We're not, you know, looking for bread, scrounging for bread. But we all hunger. All of us in this room hunger. First of all, we hunger, we hunger for basic necessities, food, water, and clothing. You have no idea how much we are dependent upon those things. But beyond that, we all hunger for other things, don't we? We hunger for love. We hunger for relationship. We hunger for our family to be a certain way. We hunger for our life to be a certain way. We hunger for our church to be a certain way. We hunger for success in our work. We hunger for all sorts of things. And so we all have a restless struggle. What that hunger is, is we're hungering for something that we want and that we need and we want to be different. Take a look back at Exodus 16, one through three. Now you're ready to take a look at these verses. So check it out in your bulletin or in your Bible. Let me make a few comments about just verses one through three because this is about our restless struggle. It says they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. By the way, the word sin there is not what we understand to be sin. It wasn't like a, a sinful place to be. That was just the name of the wilderness, the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. That's Mount Sinai, I referred to that earlier, 
on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So as I said earlier, they are beginning this faith journey. God's not finished with them. God's got stuff for them to learn. And that's what they're doing. They're going into the wilderness. Now look at verse two. It says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they're grumbling. They're grumbling against their leaders, Moses and Aaron, and they are grumbling against the Lord. So what does, what does lack of contentment look like? I want to give you three things from this passage that illustrate what lack of contentment looks like because I think we go through th these things as well. What does lack of contentment look like? First of all, it looks, it looks like grumbling. It looks like grumbling. You can see that over and over in this passage. It says they are grumbling against Moses and Aaron and they are grumbling against the Lord. Now, it's interesting that when you go to the New Testament, it picks up this theme of grumbling. So in 1 Corinthians 10, it refers to the grumbling of the people of Israel, and Paul is, is warning Christians, he's warning the church, don't grumble as they did. If you go into Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourself blameless, of, blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in a wicked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So what's Paul saying there to Christians? He says, be on guard against grumbling. Watch out for grumbling. And grumbling, according to the Bible, is a sin. It doesn't seem like that great of a sin, but grumbling is a sin. Why? because it's saying, number one, God is not going to care for us. It is rebellion against God, and it's also grumbling against others. Now, grumbling is one thing. There's nothing wrong with being honest about things that need to be changed. For example, in our church, when people give us feedback on things that we need to improve, we actually love that. That happened in Acts chapter six, where the widows are being neglected in the daily serving of food, and they got together, they had a meeting, and they appointed deacons for the church to take care of that need. So it's really good to be honest and have honest feedback, but grumbling is different. Grumbling is a discontent with God's authority in our lives and what's happening in our lives. I referred to my grumbling on that plane flight, and the past couple weeks as I've studied this passage, one of the things I've done is I've gotten in touch with my own grumbling. I've given myself over this past year permission to grumble about all kinds of things. But here's the thing that really struck me. There's a lot around my life that is disappointing to me. There's a lot around my life that falls short compared to what I want. I can be judgmental towards other people. I can complain about my lot in life, but I realized from this passage that one of the things that's going on is ultimately I'm grumbling against the Lord because I'm not trusting in his fatherly care. I'm not trusting in his providence. And basically I'm saying, God, I know better than you or I want to be in control. And as Molly says to me, Mike, there is only one God and you are not him. And a lot of times with my grumbling, it's me wanting to straighten everybody else out 
and I'm not trusting God. But there's a second thing that discontent looks like. First of all, grumbling is one example. So that would be, you know, if you're kind of checking your emotional temperature and you're grumbling, grumbling is a sign of discontent. But the second thing is fantasy, fantasy. Now notice what they said here. They said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. What they did was they fantasized about their past. They're saying things were so much better when we were back in Egypt, but that was a fantasy because it wasn't better back in Egypt. God had rescued them from awful, oppressive slavery and brick making and 400 years of oppression in Egypt. But now they're looking back and saying, again, a hard time in the wilderness, but they've got this fantasy about the past. One of the things that lack of contentment does for us is we start to fantasize and think that the grass is greener elsewhere. You know, when Molly and I first, uh, in fact, prior to getting married, we went to a pre-marriage conference. This was a few decades ago. But we learned something that has stuck with us our whole life. And it's meant so much to us because when it, it we, we heard a message on why, um, about the, some of the challenges that a marriage can face. And one of the things I talked about was what they called fantasy relationships, fantasy relationships. The way it works is you go through a period in your life where you've married to this person, but then you learn about their weaknesses and you have a lot of conflict and you go through a lot of hardship in life. And so you start to fantasize about how life could be different. The problem with the fantasy is that it's not real. The problem with the fantasy is that your spouse cannot compete with that fantasy. The problem with the fantasy is it prevents you from loving what is real. And that can be true in a job, that can be true in a church, that can be true in a season of life where you're going through a difficult time where you're just fantasizing about Egypt or about another person or about another thing. You want things, to, the grass is always greener and it prevents you from living in the present and loving in the present. That is such a valuable lesson, not only for marriage but for all of life. Then there's a third, there's a third, um, thing that discontent looks like, not just grumbling, not just fantasy, but also blaming. One of the things you see in this passage is how quickly they blame Moses and Aaron. Now Moses and Aaron had given their lives to leading them and to taking care of them and going through all this. But isn't it interesting, you guys, how when we start to grumble, when we start to complain, one of the things that we do is we're looking for somebody else to blame. When really, as Moses said to them later, your grumbling is not against us, but it is against the Lord. So watch out for how discontent and dissatisfaction can affect the relationships in your life. I was, I was struck by recently, you know, they had this conflict in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, and they were exchanging rocket fire and all of that, and what happened in certain places in our country is that there were people who, um, who perpetrated anti-Semitic acts towards Jews in our country because of what was happening over there. And it's, it's such an interesting example of how 
The world is not the way people want it to be. They might perceive injustice, but they turn against the people nearest them who were not involved in that war or not involved in that conflict at all. It's that tendency that we have in the human nature to find someone on whom we can pin the blame. So lack of contentment, that's what it looks like. That's why it's not good for us. Now, there's nothing wrong with being hungry. If I were to ask you right now, what is your restless struggle these days? Where, what are some of the things that you are hungry for that you wish were different about your life? I would say to you there is nothing wrong with your desires for things to be better, whether it's better about the church, about your family, about your job. There is nothing wrong with your desires for things to be better, but contentment is letting go, not necessarily of the desires, but the demands. Not the desires, but the demands. When desire turns into demandingness, that's when we begin to hurt other people and begin to hurt ourselves. Listen to this quote from St. Augustine who said long ago, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. See, we all have restless hearts. We struggle with discontent. We struggle with restless, restlessness. But St. Augustine discovered that we're all restless until we find our rest in God. So that leads us to our second point, and that is, first, number one was our restless struggle, but secondly, our caring Father. Our caring Father. Look at verses four through eight, and let's just talk about that. Let's work our way through this passage for a minute. Verse four, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Really interesting passage. What does God promise he'll do? He's gonna rain bread on his people. You know what the lesson is here? God is gracious even to grumblers. God hears our grumbling. That is how gracious he is, how caring he is as a father. He hears our grumbling. He is gracious to us. Verse five says, on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? So they're gonna see the glory of the Lord. They're gonna see that God is gonna provide bread to the full. And so one of the biggest lessons of this story, one of the big, biggest lessons of this passage is that God provides for his people and that is part of the secret, secret of contentment. One of the things that's interesting about this passage, uh, I just talked to a friend coming into church today, and I said, isn't it great to be past all the hard stuff in your life? And he said, well, I'm not past, we're not past it yet. And I said, you mean God is continuing to give you tests in your wilderness journey? And he said, yes, that's what's happening. So what you notice about this manna and this provision of bread is it was available to them every morning. It was every morning, it says later in the chapter that it was for 40 years. They had to have 40 years of dependence upon God and trusting God. 
So that manna, it says that God is testing them. That manna, in effect, is a school of grace. It teaches them some things. Let me illustrate it this way. When uh, Molly and I had a job prior to this one where we served as missionaries with an organization called Crew, and we were 29 years serving in various roles as missionaries, one of the things that missionaries have to do is they have to trust God for their financial support, and they look to churches and individuals to invest in their ministry. So Molly and I lived for 29 years trusting God and depending upon people on a monthly basis to give financially to our ministry, and we saw God provide. That, is the, that was an amazing lesson for me, because what did, what did we learn from that? One of the things was we learned that God provides. Number two, we learned a lot about prayer. And third, we learned a lot about dependence. And so God, remember it's a school of grace. The very need that we had for financial support for 29 years, and depending on God, was a, was a sanctifying, transforming experience. You know, I talked about this because a lot of you, I realize, are not missionaries. I talked to a businessman one time, and he said, you know, Mike, those of us in business have to live by faith as well. We have to trust God every day for our daily bread because we live in a, in a competitive marketplace. We live in this American economy, and so really, Businessmen and women who are out there in the marketplace, just like missionaries, are dependent upon God to give them their daily bread. The same is true for us as a church. We too, as a church, are between the Red Sea and the Promised Land, and in that journey, we too, as a church, have to trust God for his manna. We too, as a church, will have the experience of times of lack and times of need, times of turning to the Lord because we are dependent upon the Lord in this exercise. One of the benefits that Molly and I experienced from having been missionaries for 29 years trusting God is God develops our faith muscles over time, and so that has been so beneficial to us in our current role as a church because we've had to watch God provide not only financial resources but people resources and all sorts of things that we had to trust God for as a church. And so there's a strengthening that comes about as we walk with God over the years. We said that this journey for them with the manna was like a school. God did it to test them. Did you know that we don't really learn stuff by just reading a book? You can read a book on swimming, but it's not until you're thrown into the deep end of the pool that you really know how to swim. You need experience. Our daughter, Mary Kate, I still remember teaching her to drive. I taught all four of our kids to drive, and so Mary Kate got her learner's permit, and so for a long time, she would drive, and I would sit in the passenger seat. And I remember one time on Lake Underhill, we were waiting for a light to change and turn left. She did not have a left turn green arrow, it just had a green light. And so she started to tear off and turn left with all this traffic coming at her. And I thought I was gonna die. That's what it's like being alongside my daughter who was learning to drive with her learner's permit. But it's because of that testing, it's because of that experience, it was more than a book, but there was this learner's permit and this experience and that prepared her for a whole lifetime of driving. And the Christian life is like that. When you became a Christian, you got your learner's permit, and God is now giving you experiences in life, and this manna was that 
for the children of Israel. Notice something in verse seven. I want to point out one more thought there. It says, in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. What happens when we see God as our provider? What happens when God provides for us is we see the glory of the Lord. Now some of you this morning might be saying, well, Mike, I want to see the glory of the Lord. I want to see God provide. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? How did he tell us to pray? He said, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. When you get your daily bread, when you have your meal, when you have your lunch today, what will you do? You will give thanks. Molly and I had a friend over for dinner the other night. We're spread of Italian food. We're going to sit down and eat that. What do we do first? We gave thanks for that. Why? Because it is, we know that it is God who provides our daily prayer, and we see the glory of the Lord in so many ways just by watching God provide. If you take the exercise of having a Thanksgiving list every day of all the stuff that happens in your life, you will see the glory of the Lord because there are so many things that we forget about God's provision, but he provides for us. And ladies and gentlemen, I would say the same thing about our journey as a church. We just came through a year of COVID that was like, it was God's school of grace for us. We were tested, our community was tested, our faith was tested, we were tested with our financial resources, and we got to see the glory of the Lord. We got to see manna from heaven as God provided for this church. For example, earlier this year, there were 25 people who stood up front here as new members in our church that, that, that found out about us during COVID. That was manna from heaven to see that kind of church growth. Last week, we saw four new deacons up here. We laid hands on them. Those deacons are manna from heaven. When the public schools closed and we could come over to the Geneva School, we look back on that and that step of faith as a church. The Geneva School was manna from heaven for us. It has been an incredible thing to see that happen. When Joel Pollard left as our worship leader and God raised up Mark McKinney and you see all these people that God has brought to us to help lead us in music and worship and it's been so beautiful. We had this time of grumbling that we lost Joel as our worship leader but Mark McKinney, Lydia Souter, all these people up here, they are manna from heaven. We lost Margarita Smith, our administrator, when she and her husband had to move, but Allison Epps, our new administrator, manna from heaven. We have been through this over and over again in this journey through the wilderness as a church. We pray and we look to God to provide. And based on this passage, you guys, what we see with this manna is the glory of the Lord. I encourage you to continue on this journey. One last thing. We've talked about our restless struggle, our caring father, but the third point I wanna to leave to you is this, Christ, the bread of life. Point number three is Christ, the bread of life. You know, we said that manna is a school for our spiritual education. That's what that manna is, but there's a second thing that that manna is, and it is a pointer 
to the true manna from heaven, the true bread of life. Look back in the passage of scripture that was read earlier from John 6, 31 to 35. Take a look again at that passage. Now that you've seen Exodus 16, look at what it points to in John 6. It says our fathers, just our, this, these are the people talking to Jesus after he fed the 5,000. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the people around Jesus were quoting Exodus 16, the passage that we read. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. You see how we have a gracious Father? My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Who is that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. What's different with this bread is that it's bread for the whole world. It's not just for the people of Israel. It is bread that satisfies spiritually, not just temporally. Verse 34, so they said to him, they got this vision for it. They saw this is the real answer to their hunger is they've been looking for physical bread, but they need bread for their soul. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see how contentment is found in being satisfied with Christ. Paul, when he talked about commitment, contentment, said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what is, it, what is so special about Jesus as our bread of life? We're gonna, we're gonna come in for a landing at this point in the message. One of the things we wanna say is that where Israel failed, Israel grumbled, where Israel failed, it's not that you and I are successful, but it is Jesus who did not fail. Because you remember when Jesus went into his wilderness, he was led into the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, and the devil tempted him and said, if you're truly the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Jesus said, uh-uh. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus did not grumble. The people of Israel did. We grumble, but Jesus did not grumble. Jesus was our perfect savior. Not only that, but Jesus himself is gracious towards grumblers. And so all of us today, including myself after that airline flight, and including me with all my grumbling against God, God forgives grumblers because of Jesus, the bread of life. So ultimately, our contentment, our satisfaction comes from resting in the gospel and in his provision and the true satisfaction that he provides. And I close with this challenge to all of you about Jesus Christ, the bread of life. I wanna challenge you as you go from here to think about this for your life, to feed upon Christ as your bread of life because he's the source of contentment. So number one, worship itself is an acquired taste. If you have not made weekly worship part of your rhythm, like we wanted to do for our children, like we all want to do for our children, make corporate worship an acquired taste for you because it, it is in worship that we feed upon Christ. Number two, the word of God. You have manna every morning, just like the people of Israel did. Your manna is found in the Bible, in the word of God. 
So pick up a book of the Bible, whether it be Exodus, whether it be the Gospel of John, and just read a chapter every morning and feed your soul with the Word of God. That's one of the ways that you feed upon, upon Christ. And finally, next week, you guys, next week we have the Lord's Supper, the first Sunday of the month. And in the Lord's Supper, we feed upon Christ. So we remember what he did for us, that he was gracious to grumblers and he died for our sins, but we also are nourished and feed upon Christ and he becomes the source of our contentment because he feeds our souls. Would you pray with me? Lord, how gracious you are to all of us that in our lack of content and in our grumbling that you are a God who provides for all of our needs. Lord, I want to take a moment to pray for all the grumblers like me that this would not be a will-based exercise, but instead of that, that we would draw upon your grace and forgiveness found in the true bread, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for those within earshot who have never put their faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins, would you this morning show them the words of Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. And may they say to you, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.